welcome everyone. We're here today with John Moon from NEEDS, and today is the 3rd of June, 2011. We're so excited to talk about um, service dogs today, and John is from the National Association for Education of Assistance Dog Services, and he's going to share with us a little bit about service dogs. But John, why don't we get started and you can tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll talk about service dogs. Sure. Before we get started, uh, well, I just remind everyone that you can find the slides to accompany this discussion by going to the website, mitoaction.org backslash blog backslash service dash dogs, or just search dogs on the MitoAction website, and you'll see on that page the highlighted in yellow link to follow along with the PDF of the slides. For John. John, welcome and thank you so much for being our speaker today. Oh, thanks very much. It's really an honor to be here with everyone today. It's um, uh, obviously a topic of uh, assistance dogs that is very uh, near and dear, not only to my heart, but really to everyone that works here at Needs. Um, we are an organization that is in its 35, 35th year of existence. Um, so our experience working with uh, assistance dogs uh, and helping those with a disability, um, I'd say, is quite extensive. Um, I'll also say that we are probably one of 100-some-odd accredited organizations that exist in the United States. Uh, so even though needs may not be able to provide dogs for everyone or for every kind of physical disability, um, I would direct everybody to Assistance Dogs International, uh, their website, which is a .org, um, to find a list of accredited organizations that might be able to suit someone's particular needs um, because we're all different. We all use different techniques in order to train our dogs. Uh, but I have to say that the accredited organizations are your best source of quality dogs, quality programs, and reputable programs that might be able to provide um, a canine assistance for you. Uh, you also might hear some dogs barking in the background while I talk, so uh, bear with me. But uh, again, thanks very, very much for having me and needs uh, on today's uh, conference call. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure. Um, I, I, I provide a little bit of an agenda to give us some, some general topics, uh, really that, that I could cover. Uh, the first point on the, on the agenda is, you know, what are needs dogs? Um, I'll say that, that we typically get our, our dogs from, uh, reputable breeders. Uh, we also get, uh, dogs from, uh, guiding eyes for the blind. Uh, who sell their dogs that don't make it uh, as guide dogs or don't fulfill the criteria to be a guide dog, but those dogs oftentimes um, are very, very good as assistance dogs. Uh, the difference between a guide dog and an assistance dog, I would say, is in their temperament. Um, a guide dog is typically more assertive in how it um, supports their blind uh, partner. Uh, however, an assistance dog is typically um, what I call lumpy and mellow. Uh, they are uh, typically waiting to be told what to do. 
whether it should be picking up a dropped article or opening up a door or even retrieving a, a dropped set of keys or even a cell phone, um, they're waiting as opposed to taking the initiative, which a guide dog would do. So uh, the guide dog, uh, Guiding Eyes to the Blind, uh, does sell us the dogs that don't meet their criteria, and we typically uh, either go to New York to pick up those puppies uh, and bring them to Nees or someone who uh, might be in the area working with their own uh, puppy raisers might bring them to us. But they typically, you know, come to Nees uh, at about eight weeks of age. So we begin the training process at a very, very early uh, point in that puppy's life uh, so that we are, from that point forward, um, I'd say indoctrinating and familiarizing uh, the puppies to the different sights, sounds, and smells that they'll eventually encounter when they're matched, you know, with their new human partner, which likely is about 18 months of age. Uh, when that dog is finally matched, um, you know, with their human partner. So it's a long process. Um, we invest a lot of time there and talent and, and uh, enthusiasm, you know, really in the training and the care of dogs. Uh, but we're not alone. Uh, Needs is supported by uh, well over 300 volunteers uh, that exist uh, throughout New England. Uh, those volunteers could be doing anything from weekend puppy raising to socializing of the dogs to transporting the dogs uh, to veterinary uh, care uh, wherever they, you know, whatever they may need that. Um, let's see. Uh, training really does begin, as I say, at a, at a very, very early uh, state. Uh, we've familiarize the dogs with, you know, a thousand and one different sounds and smells uh, when they come here to needs at about eight weeks old. Um, oftentimes, I'll go up to our early learning center here in Princeton, Massachusetts, uh, where the puppies initially come, and I'll walk into the early learning center, and there's a lot of sounds. You know, we have a tape with a thousand and one sounds uh, going whether it's a vacuum cleaner or construction material or a truck uh, backing up or a jet plane or even uh, railroad uh, whistles. So the dogs are not startled by that. Um, and again, we start that very, very early because dogs are learning, really from the moment that they're born. Um, and so when they're familiar with these different sights and sounds and smells, the dog will be, um, will kind of hear those things and just kind of almost like shrugging their shoulders and going, yeah, so what? It's not that big a deal. But we don't want the dog to be pulling uh, their human partner over if they, you know, perhaps were interested in chasing a squirrel. That just doesn't happen, you know, with our dogs because, again, they're familiar with the, what a squirrel smells like or, or looks like, and they just kind of watch it and go, that's okay, not a problem. Just run along, and, and I'll just watch you go. Um, after about eight weeks here uh, at Needs, uh, the dogs are put into one of uh, 13 different correctional facilities around New England where there are inmates helping to train the assistance dogs, uh, you know, these puppies, uh, up until they're about 16 to 17 months old. We do that because it's, uh, it's a way for us to 
standardize the training. Um, our trainers from these are going into each of those correctional facilities every week to introduce new commands, uh, help the inmates overcome any challenges that they may be encountering with the dogs. But it's a way for us to both standardize the training and be able to train more dogs more quickly so that we can help more humans, really, that can benefit from canine assistance. So um, the inmates are very, very carefully screened uh, by the correctional facilities because we want to make sure that, that these people are um, capable, willing, uh, and, and have the temperament themselves to be able to, to deal with the puppy's needs and the repetitive type of training that, that takes place so that when the dog is eventually matched with their human partner, um, really it's the human that needs most of the training, uh, not the dog. They're fully trained by the time uh, someone comes here uh, to spend a couple weeks uh, of training. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, the inmates are working with the dogs 24 hours a day, five days a week. So you might ask, so what happens the other two days? Uh, of the week. That is when, on a Friday, uh, a weekend puppy raiser, who also is a volunteer uh, at needs, a weekend puppy raiser goes to each of the correctional facilities uh, where the dogs are on a Friday afternoon and picks up the dog and all of the things that you and I might do on a weekend, whether it's going to the drugstore or a concert, hanging out at the house if we need to, um, food shopping, the dog accompanies that weekend puppy raiser, you know, throughout their weekend. Uh, so again, they're familiar with different people, different houses, uh, different animals that might be in the house, different activities. So they are again nonplussed, not not um, excited or or, uh, or or made nervous by any of the things that they might encounter. Again, you know, when they're eventually matched with their human partner. And uh, it's really an extraordinary process. And, you know, to watch the weekend puppy raisers who really give very selflessly of their time, uh, you know, to be part of this process, a lot of people wonder, you know, how can they do that and still give up the puppy? Um, in some ways, it's like a, a rent-a-dog uh, because the, the people are only working with the dog two and a half, three days. But it is an awful lot of work, and it, it, it's an essential component. Uh, of socializing the dog so that um, they can be a good companion. Um, I'll share with you just a, a story that one day I walked into the knees lobby and there were a lot of rabbits running around. And I thought, well, I hadn't heard that we were training assistance rabbits, but well, maybe this is a new program I was unaware of. But what they were really doing is because that dog was going to be uh, partnered with someone who has rabbits in their home, we wanted to make sure that the dog was familiar with the scent uh, and motion of a rabbit. And again, we'd just look at it and kind of shrug its shoulders and go, not that big a deal. Uh, so this is a constant process that we go through um, to, again, make sure that the dogs are comfortable in virtually any situation. Um, something that you might ask is, um, you know, can the dogs pull you away from danger uh, like a, a moving car? Um, the dogs are trained to ignore cars. So that dog is always, uh, the assistance dog is always going to be at your side and always uh, kept close to you with a leash, except when it's allowed to be in, uh, 
you know, to be free and playing. And we do ask that the dogs get at least an hour of play a day, but typically within a controlled environment like a dog park or, um, or a fenced-in yard. But these are the kinds of things that we uh, help train uh, the clients about when they come here to needs. And, uh, and so that's, that's all part of the familiarization process, the training process that the humans go through while they're here. John, let me ask a question that I've heard some people make comments about. Does the dog have to be a puppy? And can people who already have a dog train their dog to be a service dog? Uh, for our purposes, we always want to start as a, as a puppy for our organization. So I'd say yes. It's very, very important that the dogs begin uh, their familiarization and their socialization at, at, at the earliest possible moment. Uh, your question about uh, can someone train their own assistance dog? Sure they can. Uh, they certainly can. Um, although I would say that that dog uh, um, may not have a lot of the early uh, familiarization that that's, we believe is necessary and that is a standard of ours. But certainly you can have a well-trained and helpful dog through your own training. Um, I think that there's a, that also uh, raises the question about whether or not a home-trained dog has, uh, has the capability to be an assistance dog. And again, yes, it does. Uh, but we would only want um, our dogs, we would only certify our dogs as being um, a needs assistance dog if we trained it ourselves and provided it with the care and training from a very, very early age. Um, and, then, and then helping someone come here for training and to be fully familiar with the 60 to 70 some odd commands that the dog is capable of for their own benefit. Um, we would not certify someone else uh, training their own dog to be an assistance dog. However, there are programs in the United States that do that for their client. Uh, and one of those programs is called Top Dog, and they're located out in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, they will train someone's personal dog or help someone train their personal dog to be an assistance dog. Um, that's why I refer people, you know, back to the Assistance Dog International website. Uh, they have a, a good directory of resources about, um, you know, what is, an, what is an accredited organization. And that accreditation really is what I call the good housekeeping seal of approval uh, that uh, I think... Uh, helps you or I be certain that that program meets certain standards of training, uh, of care of the dog. Um, and so I would look there if, if, if perhaps needs does not meet your needs uh, for an assistance dog. Is that helpful? Great. Let's keep going. Thank huh? you. Um, well, the weekend puppy raisers, again, play an incredibly uh, important role. Uh, with us, and again, they are all volunteers, but that socialization is, a, is, a, is important um, uh, for, uh, for the dog's uh, familiarity. Uh, you might next be asking, what do need assistance dogs do? And I provided us just a couple pictures um, about what, um, what the dogs are capable of doing. A lot of our clients, uh, whether it is someone who's using a wheelchair, whether a child or adult, 
someone who might uh, have balance challenges because of multiple sclerosis. Um, the dogs help provide uh, what I call a function. They can pick up dropped articles. Uh, they can open up a door for someone using a wheelchair. A lot of injuries that, that uh, people that uh, use a wheelchair may encounter uh, may be, you know, a door closing on them and, and hitting them in the shoulder or in the arm. Uh, whereas a dog can uh, pull a door open when that door is modified by a rope being put on uh, that, that door handle. They can pull the door open, hold it open until someone moves through the door. Sometimes the uh, isn't isn't great on these automated doors. But again, the dog can hold that door open so someone can move through without uh, injuring themselves. Um, I've seen uh, our dogs pick up a dropped quarter off of the ground. Um, I've also seen our dogs take shoes and socks on and off. Um, and in some cases, I've heard people go, well, that's a really neat trick. But in some cases, we have had uh, clients who are missing their arms or have limited use of their arms. So the ability to pull one's shoes and socks on and off uh, becomes essential, uh, not just kind of a neat trick. Um, so that, um, that I know can be a, um, a very, very helpful um, function for the dogs um, to provide to their human partner. Um, we oftentimes will say that the, that, the, that the dogs are a lovable tool because they really do help someone accomplish uh, some of the functions that they may not be able to accomplish on their own. But they are lovable. They are a companion um, that, uh, you know, whose loyalty uh, is very specific to their human partner. And they are constantly looking to the human partner to say, hey, is this what you want me to do? Um, and, by the way, if, if people are looking for additional information from us, we have videos, uh, we have printed materials that, that can, uh, you know, demonstrate what the dogs are capable of doing. Um, one group uh, that I have failed to really pay attention to are our children uh, that might be uh, somewhere on the autism spectrum. You might ask, what can an, an assistance dog that performs functions what can a dog do for someone, uh, for a child or even a family, you know, grappling with autism? I'd say that they're, uh, when we're matching uh, a dog with uh, someone with autism, uh, we oftentimes do require that that child have a parent or a facilitator to, to be the, you know, the primary uh, care provider for that dog. Depending on where that child may be on the spectrum, they may or may not have the capability to care um, for the dog on their uh, on their own, although I will also say that the dog can can be um, can help draw out a child who has autism. We have seen some cases where a child that was uh, in, uh, uncommunicative um, suddenly become communicative because of the partnership that they have with a with a caring canine companion. Um, so the dog can act as a, uh, you know, as a, as a grounding tool uh, for uh, children that are higher on the spectrum. You know, they can gain more independence, you know, with a dog at their side rather than being left alone. If the parent goes down to, to pick up laundry, for example, uh, that dog can remain, uh, you know, with the child um, to help it 
uh, and also to provide some security, uh, not for hours uh, at a time, certainly, but for a period of time, perhaps to give uh, the facilitator, the parent, uh, just a break uh, so they can go down and pick up laundry or turn the stove off or, or something like that. Um, and and the, the dog is, you know, very, very low-key and really can, can handle anything, you know, that's going on around it. We'd like to call those dogs bomb-proof because they just don't, you know, they're, they're non-plussed, um, uh, you know, by the activities and by the child. Um, a lot of times the communication uh, with the dog is, uh, is through the child. People, uh, you know, interacting, uh, you know, with that team, we would ask the parent to ask the, the, the other person to direct their communication to the child. You know, what is your dog's name? What does that dog do for you? It encourages that child, if they're capable, of, of interacting so that, so that the dog can act as a, as a, almost as a bridge uh, to society. Um, I would call it um, intentional interaction. Um, there's also a connection to the community, uh, providing socialization. Uh, a lot of times we hear, whether it's an adult using a wheelchair or even a child that's been matched up with a dog, um, people oftentimes don't know what to say. So in the absence of, of knowing what to say, they avoid saying anything, and that really increases the, the, the social um, isolation that, that, you know, adult or child might be feeling. Uh, and yet, uh, when someone can say, hey, um, what's your dog's name, uh, that, again, helps bridge the gap and, and maybe helps that, uh, that person be, be able to, to be communicative with someone using a wheelchair and, and not avoid them by, you know, crossing the street. Like, hey, who's your dog? And by the way, who are you? Um, in the case of a child on the autism spectrum, that, uh, you know, the child can help uh, develop a rapport. Um, but there are also some physical and, and, and occupational therapy type benefits. Um, as the child is brushing their teeth, uh, we ask, uh, and the, again, the dog is very familiar with having its own teeth brushed by their human partner. We would, you know, certainly advocate not using the same brush. Uh, the dog has its, its own brush uh, for a, a teeth brushing, but it, you know, provides a way to say, hey, if you're brushing your teeth, Stuart, maybe you can brush um, your partner's, your dog partner's teeth as well. Uh, putting the leash on and off. Um, also helps strengthen the routines that the child needs, you know, providing some structure uh, for that child. Um, and there's also, of course, the leash for the child to hold on to so that there's a connection uh, and so that the child also doesn't, uh, doesn't run off while he's holding the leash, uh, even though the mother is the one that, that is likely the, you know, the controlling um, facilitator, you know, in that partnership. The dog can also do a lot of the commands and, can, and, and this can uh, help when the, the child might be nonverbal. So there's a variety of ways that, that the dog uh, for a child uh, can provide uh, socialization, uh, interaction, some structure uh, for the child. And again, we've seen some remarkable um, changes in the children um, that we have provided an assistance dog for um, because the dog is also probably, you know, one uh, – uh, one of several um, living entities in the house, aside from the parent, 
from the parents and the child. There might be other children. There might be other pets uh, in the home as well. Um, but, you know, the dog, you know, becomes a focal point, uh, you know, for everyone and, and a facilitative device, um, if you will. Um, but the dogs also have personalities, and, and they, they love to, to be loved uh, and interact with, um, you know, the people that are, that are part of its, its pack, basically. Um, something I'm, I'm aware of that, that folks with uh, mitochondrial disease are grappling with is, is weakness. Um, and it's interesting that uh, I'm going to refer to something on the, on the Internet, and that is uh, at least one company exists out there called PetFlow. Um, they will deliver pet food to someone's home so that, um, you know, we're not having to, to go out to a pet food store in order to get food, um, which might be very, very tiring or maybe even a possible task, you know, for someone to, to grapple with. Petalo is probably one of a number of different uh, companies out there. Uh, we, uh, we have a relationship, uh, Needs does, with Petflow. Um, so we're uh, sure that they're a reputable organization. And a huge variety of uh, cat and dog food and, and treats um, are available on their website. But it's a way, again, for really people to, um, to have food delivered to your door for the cost of gas these days. It kind of simplifies things from a cost standpoint as well as a physical exertion standpoint as well. Um, let's see. Are there uh, any questions at all, Christy, that, that are coming in that I might be able to answer at this moment? Uh, why don't we keep going, John, and then we can certainly open up. And I don't have any on email yet, but we'll open up and um, just let me know when you're ready. We'll open up the lines for Needs provides dogs for, again, for a number of different kinds of, of physical disabilities. Um, but there's a, a, a lot of physical disabilities um, that Needs does not provide dogs for. Um, dogs now, you probably have read, are capable of, of detecting uh, peanut oil uh, in, in a classroom. Uh, their, their sense of smell is extraordinary. So. Uh, the dogs are, are really able to, um, you know, to detect peanut oil. Sometimes uh, kids, uh, families with allergies, you know, this could be life-threatening in some cases. So, um, you know, that's another capability of dogs. You probably have read that dogs are capable of detecting uh, diabetes, um, a, a lowering of insulin levels that, that people might be uh, grappling with. Um, we do not train dogs uh, at this point in time. We may in the future uh, for diabetes. We may also train dogs uh, in the future uh, to alert for seizures. At present, we do not. Uh, but there are, again, if you go to that Assistance Dogs International website, you can find dogs uh, that are trained for these different kinds of things. Um, I will tell you that some of the dogs that we have trained uh, and matched uh, with their human partner um, actually, uh, the dogs have been able to detect uh, a lowering of insulin levels. That is not something that we train the, the dogs to do, but we have learned that that, that, that capability exists in the dogs. Uh, so um, I, I can think of one client in particular that has had that experience, and we were and are, you know, pleasantly surprised about that, you know, that the dog can provide that, that level of um, security, if you will. Um, for their physical well-being. Um, let's see. 
I want to go back to you know what happens when the dog is is ready uh, to be matched with someone. One of the things that we pride ourselves on at Needs is is uh, the match process, uh, making sure that the right dog is matched with the right human partner. Uh, that begins very very early on. Uh, someone may visit our website, um, fill out an application for the kind of dog that they're looking for. And it's a fairly exhaustive, uh, you know, questionnaire that people fill out. But as you can imagine, that application process online is one-dimensional. It's just a piece of paper, but it does give us the basis to uh, take the application, make a phone call to someone, and have a phone interview uh, with that candidate so that the information um, on the application begins to take on a life of its own. Um, Kathy Foreman, who's our uh, Director of Client uh, Relations, uh, typically follows up uh, with every application that comes to us online. And again, a fairly exhaustive uh, a phone interview that typically leads to, uh, if possible, an in-person interview. Sometimes people are not capable of traveling to needs, but we are using uh, Skype, uh, for example, so that we can literally see um, how someone moves, what their gait looks like, what, what's the motion of their legs or their arms um, as they move, so that we can really form a picture uh, in our mind uh, about um, how somebody moves, uh, what kind of dog, what kind of height the dog needs to be in order to provide um, uh, service to their human partner. So, again, uh, going to the website, filling out, filling out an application. Uh, Kathy would follow up uh, to learn more. And, and then, again, we would invite someone to come here to need so that we could uh, physically evaluate them. But if not, well, we can do that. Uh, we have used Skype in order to, to understand these qualities and features of someone's motion. Um, you might be curious as to, as to why that's important. Well, humans come in different sizes. Uh, and so the dog needs to be the proper height in order to provide the proper uh, support for their human partner, but also the kind of dog that, that uh, is best matched uh, with that human's particular needs is very, very critical. Anybody that has seen or even owns a golden retriever might notice that their fanny uh, moves back and forth, uh, it kind of sways as, as they walk uh, you know, down the street. Um, I have a golden retriever, and I'm uh, frequently amazed at, at uh, I guess, what a wide swing she happens to have. I also have a black lab, who is a retired uh, assistance dog, uh, and someone who has a yellow lab or a black lab would notice that there is no sway to their hips. But we would, again, want to be able to understand that um, so the, the right dog, the right breed is matched um, with the right human's uh, physical characteristics. We typically work with black and yellow Labrador retrievers, uh, smooth coat collies, uh, poodles, or labradoodles sometimes because of uh, their height or their uh, you know, hypoallergenic nature of a, a poodle or labradoodle's fur. Um, and we also use golden retrievers um, in certain situations. Uh, they're very social, as you know, golden retrievers, and that is uh, um, very, very good for social dogs that are matched with children with autism, 
um, or even therapy dogs uh, that are used in therapeutic situations. Uh, Goldens are very, very good there um, as well. Uh, so, let's say after you know we understand the needs of the uh, of the human that has applied uh, to uh, the needs of the organization, we begin to um, because the trainers are going into the correctional facilities um, every week uh, to introduce new commands or overcome any of the challenges that the inmates are having. The the uh, the trainers are very intimately familiar with um, what dogs are part of their string and their personality, their capability, their size, their temperament. And they uh, are constantly talking with Kathy to understand, you know, to share information. You know, which client on our waiting list might be the best candidate for a particular dog. So even though someone might be number 50 on the waiting list, it doesn't mean that we're waiting for 50 dogs to come through this, the, the program in order for that person to, to be matched. It really is important to us that that that, um, that the right dog be matched with the right needs of their of their eventual human partner. So whether you're 50 or number one on the list, um, the match is what determines uh, when someone is is contacted about um, you know the right dog being here. And once that that call has been made to someone, uh, we invite them to come to needs uh, to spend uh, a week or two here on our campus training. And I say a week or two because um, one of the programs that we have is, uh, is for people that, that might have hearing loss due to whatever reason. Um, when someone uh, with hearing loss, even if they're capable of hearing with maybe a cochlear implant or, or a, um, uh, a hearing aid, when they take those devices off at night, they're still without their hearing, and a dog can provide uh, a great amount of, of security so that they can perhaps sleep well uh, in the evening. So um, we would invite someone with hearing loss probably to come and train here on the Needs campus for about a week, but if someone has a, a more extensive physical disability, it's usually about two weeks uh, that we ask them to come, come train here on uh, the Needs campus. Uh, we have a fully accessible um, uh, farmhouse here on campus where people stay. Uh, they're all fully, all the rooms are fully equipped with uh, hospital beds to meet the needs of, of our clients. Uh, the kitchen is um, accessible uh, for someone using a wheelchair, and uh, and it's a it's a nice home-like setting. We sit on 18 acres here in Princeton, so it's a we uh, call it pastoral. It's calm. Uh, it's a, for example, today is an extraordinarily beautiful day up here in Princeton, uh, and it's again, it's a very easy environment for people to come and to learn, uh, because the learning is there's a lot to learn about how to work with a dog, and so typically training goes on from about 10 to 4, um, and then again, people are brought to to town, to the mall, to Walmart, to the town square, so that they're working with their dog in real-life settings. Um, after the second and sometimes third day of uh, their initial uh, time here on campus, then their uh, the dog is, is brought to the to the human partner, uh, and that bonding process begins to transfer from the trainer to their human partner, their new human partner. And I have seen 
really just some extraordinary things, you know, take place, you know, within a few days of someone working with their dog and, and keeping the dog with them in their room, you know, overnight. You, just, you see the dog, you know, begin to look up at that, at their new human partner and saying, you know, is this what you've asked me to do? Uh, it is a, uh, it's really heartwarming, you know, to see uh, how that bond uh, switches again from the trainer to their new human partner and, you know, the loyalty, uh, the desire to work, you know, for their human partner is, is well, it brings, it brings me to tears frequently uh, just to see how it takes place and, and how the trainers, who are really darn good at what they do, um, transfer that loyalty and, and work um, very personally, you know, with uh, the clients who are here, um, learning how to make best use of, uh, of their dog as a, as a lovable tool. Um, so after, well, let me just share a quick story because it, it, you know, you might be asking about, you know, that match process and how we can be certain. We're not always certain, but we have a pretty darn good idea. Uh, one case where we, we, uh, put a gentleman, uh, who had been wounded, uh, over in Iraq, we matched him with a, a chocolate lab, um, and you could see that they weren't really, you know, warming together. So we swapped that dog out and put him with a different uh, uh, Labrador Retriever, and that new dog's name was Doc. And so after probably two or, or three weeks, when uh, after that third week when he returned uh, uh, for a graduation ceremony that we hold here, um, he stood up in front of the crowd of, of two or three hundred some odd people, and he said, "You know what? No one really knows is that my nickname in Iraq was Doc." It was something that really brought a lot of people to tears, but it was almost prophetic, uh, really, to to know that while the first dog did not uh, match uh, well with this gentleman's needs, the second dog did, uh, and it and it and it actually you know was named just coincidentally um, something that he had been called, uh, you know, previously when when he was you know. Helping, helping keep our country safe uh, while he was in Iraq. So it is, um, I sometimes point to the matching process uh, as something uh, like Braille. We almost feel our way through the process, but it, that feel is based on an extraordinary amount of expertise uh, that we've developed over 35 years. We have trainers that have been here for 20 years uh, working with the dogs, and Kathy Foreman uh, has been here for uh, over two decades. So her ability to understand a client's needs uh, and how a particular dog can meet those those needs uh, is extraordinary. And it is, uh, well, we're, we're good at it. So I, I, I think you will find that with a number of different organizations um, out there. And I would encourage people to evaluate not just needs, uh, if we can be of help, but evaluate a number of different organizations because it's going to be your fact-finding and your intuition that will lead you to the organization that feels as though it can serve your needs best. I have, Can you give that website again that you mentioned at the beginning of the call that was uh, the International Association? Yes. Uh, it's called Assistance Dogs International, and it is a .org. So if you type that into Google, Assistance Dogs International, uh, you'll come up with the, with the website. 
um, as well as probably a number of other resources that might be available, you know, to you to to evaluate um, where uh, to get a dog. Um, they typically typically is costing needs anywhere between twenty and thirty thousand dollars to uh, raise and care for and train uh, an assistance dog. Uh, and we, like a number of organizations, although not all, uh, we ask uh, a client to help fundraise a portion of that of that um, cost of raising a dog. We believe that helping to fundraise that dog, uh, for the dog helps knit their responsibility more closely to their human partner. Um, Having fundraised uh, some sum of money or no money is not going to prevent someone from getting a dog from needs. Um, we are a nonprofit and we survive on the generosity of others. So um, we recognize that that a lot of uh, our clients uh, may not have the capability, um, you know, to provide, you know, a down payment uh, or funds. And that's why we help actively help uh, clients fundraise with the help of their community most often. Um, you know, a portion uh, of that, of what it costs us to raise and care for and train a dog. One uh, gentleman uh, who, you know, might, you might be asked about how fundraising takes place when, you know, you might not be capable of being out and about and active. Um, we do have, well, one example is a gentleman who, prior to having a stroke, which left him partially paralyzed on one side, this gentleman uh, actually used to be a barbecue chef, and and so he actually we had a barbecue here on the Needs campus, which we will do again on June 11th uh, of this month. But uh, we had a barbecue. He's got access to some phenomenal barbecue sauce, so that helped raise I think well over six thousand dollars, for example, um, you know, for um, the fee that we asked the people to help fundraise. But I'd say that we look really to people's talents and skills as being a basis for fundraising. Um, so, again, we're very active uh, in helping people find ways to, to fundraise for their dog. Um, and it helps, uh, helps the community be, be more aware of them, uh, their partnership, who else might be able to be served uh, by an assistance dog within their community. So a client can actually be performing a very valuable um, social service uh, by um, attracting others through their church, through the Lions, through the different skills and talents that they may have, um, you know, to, to, um, you know, to their needs and to the capability of an assistance dog, whether from needs or from any program, being of, of help, you know, to that, to that human, to that family to help be a, a social bridge, to be a tool to help them accomplish uh, going out into society and participating, you know, more fully in what, you know, life has to offer. Um, so. Great. Should we open for questions, John? Sure. That would be fine. Okay. Super. I'm sure everyone has a few questions, so bear with me. You'll hear a couple beats. And let me remind everyone that you can use uh, star six to mute or unmute your line. So uh, anyone would like to go first and, uh, and ask the first question? Uh, all right, John, I have a question while everyone is um, gathering their thoughts. 
for asking questions. Sure. Um, many mito patients, um, particularly I'm thinking of adult patients who live alone, would really benefit from a service dog, but are already financially barely making it. So um, what happens in those situations? Because, you know, um, the care for dogs for their um, their vet bills, not just food, but, you know, proper really care for the dogs over time, grooming and the vet and medicines and so forth, could be expensive. Are there resources that help with that, or what do you find other people do? Um, that's a great question because it is a, it is a, a, a concern or something to be aware of. Um, there are organizations out there. Um, one has the initials of IAADP, and they will provide uh, funds for uh, people who don't have the funds for, for whether it's an operation uh, or for medicines uh, that the dog may need. So that's one resource uh, out there. Also, there are an awful lot of uh, veterinarians that, that donate or discount uh, their care when they know that someone in their community uh, might have a disability and have an assistance dog, and they provide, uh, really, again, that, that, that care oftentimes either for free or, or at a discount. And I would just encourage people not to be shy. You know, ask those veterinarians, you know, would they be willing, what would they be willing to do to support um, that partnership? From a needs perspective, we have scholarships uh, that are available uh, to help defray the cost uh, of a dog, uh, of an assistance dog for them. And we also are very, very proactive in helping people uh, locate services, uh, other partners within the community to help uh, fundraise, uh, you know, for them. Uh, we have different devices. We have different vehicles, you know, that we can recommend. And I often find really through the conversation, you know, that, uh, that I and we have uh, with clients about, about this sum of money, which might seem daunting, uh, people really do have a lot of skills and talents uh, that can help raise some sum of money. Um, and all we, what we ask is for, for people to try. Um, you know, the responsibility of a dog uh, and especially an assistance dog is great um, and we would like people to understand that, recognize it, work with it and that's part of the, the, the fundraising process. Okay. Uh, anybody want to ask a question? I have a couple more questions to ask also from um, internet. But anybody want to jump in? Christy, I have um, a couple of questions. This is Ellen from the Boston area. So first of all, John, thank you so much for um, talking with us today. And Christy, thank you for coordinating this. I think this can help fill a need for a lot of folks. And I, I have a um, question to follow up on yours, Christy, in terms of single people living alone, um, not only financially, but also the, the physical aspects of caring for an assistance dog. Um, just um, wondering what the specific needs are. I think you mentioned in terms of, you know, like um, playtime and walking and so forth. But for folks that, you know, don't have family members that are living with them, if you could talk, uh, speak to that um, in terms of, you know, is this, would this be something that might be feasible? What kind of help would somebody need, to, you know, to have an assistance dog? Because um, I think it would be very helpful, but then there's the aspect of taking the dog for a walk and, you know, <laughs> feeding and caring for it. So not just financially, but the physical aspect. Sure, that's a great question. 
The um, we have a number of clients that, that probably I would say do not have easy access, um, but they do have a friend perhaps that lives down the hall that can help with uh, some of the dog walking. The dogs are literally trained to poop and pee on command, um, and so you know recognizing that people might have you know limited ability to uh, you know take their dog for a walk. We would, uh, you know, help that person uh, locate uh, a leash, maybe a 16-foot leash, so that the dog um, could get out. You know, you could throw the throw the ball, uh, you know, for the dog within reach uh, of uh, of that leash, a 16 or 20-foot uh, leash, you know, to help get the dog some playtime. The dogs also know uh, when they are wearing uh, their gentle leader around their nose which some people mistake for a, um, a muzzle. It's not. It's a training device, and they, the dogs have full range of motion to yawn or to drink water uh, when they're wearing that. But again, when, you, when uh, it is removed and when the cape is removed uh, from their back, which signifies the dog as an assistance dog, the dog is you know, knows it is playtime. And so even though the dog may not be able to run a hundred yards for a frisbee or a ball or something. The dog is is in a more relaxed state and and can run around your apartment. Um, I'd say whatever uh, area that you have, we would work with you to both adapt it to your needs. So again, being able to put a, a rope on a door or some kind of device on a door to be able to pull it open, or even covering a light switch. Uh, with plexiglass so that the dog could turn on the light switch um, for you. If the dog can, can run around or, or be at rest uh, within your apartment and you properly feed it and not overfeed it, the dog, you know, won't, um, won't gain weight, which we would, you know, we like to keep the dogs at an at a optimum weight so they can work for their human partner. There are ways to work with um, the situation that someone finds them living in. And I would leave that up in some respects to, to Kathy, um, our client services uh, director, to be able to, to you know, answer a question about what your particular living situation is and how it might be adapted um, you know, to meet uh, uh, the, uh, the needs of the dog when they're not at work. So it sounds like it really would be part of the, the matching process as opposed to precluding somebody from being able to oh, yes. be matched. Absolutely, yes. I would say um, don't preclude uh, anyone that's listening. Don't preclude yourself because you don't think that you meet the needs or the criteria. Mm-hmm. Let us help you with that. Um, I will say that, that having a dog is a lot of work, mm-hmm. um, but that work might be helpful uh, to, to draw one or, or another of us um, out of our of our situation, um, pushing us, you know, a little bit because the needs of that dog are important, and um, maybe as difficult as things may be, sometimes putting ourselves second in favor of the dog might be helpful. It may not always be uh, the opportunity to do that, but um, we find sometimes it is helpful to push people a little farther. 
you have another question, Ellen? Um, yeah, I, you know, I looked on your website and looked at the application and mentioned things like wheelchairs. It didn't mention scooters. It, would there be any problem or issue if someone had? Like, no, a, a no, we just need to know those things. Mm -hmm. And you also it mentioned difficulty functioning in hot or cold weather, which is a big problem for a lot of mitral patients or spasms in arms and legs, again, also issues. Is that something, it, since it was included, I was wondering if that would be problematic, or is it just, again, part of the matching process? It is part of the matching process. Um, I, I want to share really, really quickly um, how important uh, it is for us. We do have a client, for example, who uses a wheelchair. I shouldn't say a client. We have someone on the waiting list uh, who uh, uses a wheelchair, has very limited use of their, of their hands and arms, uh, and is not very verbal. Uh, also, uh, there's a, a peanut allergy um, situation as well. So we are looking for a very particular kind of dog that that doesn't require a lot of um, uh, interaction by their primary human partner, which would be that child. Um, but believe me, we will find that dog uh, for this uh, this person. But it is going to require us to. Uh, for a particular kind of dog um, to be found, but rest assured, we will find one. Great questions, Ellen. Um, oh, I have thank you. Uh, I have a couple questions. Um, also, John, uh, Heidi asks, do you hear many complaints from clients about their service dogs being denied entry into a restaurant or hotel? What can they do about that? And I'd like to add to that because something that I think is relevant for our my patients is we spend a lot of time in the hospitals or in the clinics for appointments. So is, are there policies about allowing service dogs to go into those places, and what's your experience? Excellent question, uh, Heidi, and I think that this is not uh, – I think it's on the mind of a lot of people, so it, I really appreciate you saying something. Um, according to the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, anyone using an assistance dog has full rights of access to any public building. That said, we have a lot of people, proprietors of, of businesses or hotels, um, that are unfamiliar with the Americans with Disabilities Act and what that actually means. So we will help educate you as a client on, on you know, what rights of access you have with your assistance dog. That doesn't mean that you won't be challenged. Um, I. I uh, use an assistance dog myself when I travel to talk about needs, and I have been challenged walking into a convenience store that might be um, uh, staffed by someone who's not from this country, and they have stopped me from walking in. And I have, uh, we give all of our clients now a card that very, you know, with bullet items that gives the uh, phone number to call and rights of access uh, information there. And I've still been said, no, you cannot come in. And I'll say uh, very patiently that I, would, I, will wait, I will wait right here. Please call the police, and, uh, and I'll wait right here. Um, that either uh, prompts them to say, well, okay, you can come in, or I have on occasion waited for the police, and the police oftentimes then proceed to educate the proprietor about the rights of access. Again, I have heard of a client uh, on occasion running into a policeman or a policewoman who isn't familiar with the rights of access of someone with a, a disability. And again, um, you can choose to help educate 
uh, that proprietor or that police officer uh, about the rights of access or choose a different um, store to go into. Uh, as far as the restaurant, our dogs are trained to be unobtrusive. So we want uh, our dogs to be able to go under uh, a table in a restaurant and basically just hang out there uh, the entire time without begging for food. Uh, and then a lot of times the waiter or waitress is surprised that there's a, an assistance dog underneath the table. Um, I will also share, though, that, that uh, I have heard of a McDonald's or a Walmart or even a, um, a Target challenging someone, uh, and so even though they might have a sign on their door, their front door saying, you know, only people with assistance dogs uh, can come in, you know, that that dog must be an assistance dog to enter the store, they still suffer. So there is, you know, lack of awareness there, but um, I would say that it is not common and that uh, if, if you have the, the strength and the patience to help educate others, uh, that, it, that, um, that that's an essential part of, uh, of, of being a partner uh, out there. It is not common, but it does happen, yes. John, how would, how would these rights of access relate to housing rights? Uh, excellent question. Um, if perhaps you are, are renting an apartment or a condo, you should be allowed to uh, have an assistance dog with you, even though pets are not allowed uh, in that uh, condo facility or, or apartment. An assistance dog is not a pet. Uh, an assistance dog is a device that helps you or I uh, perform some functions. So the dog needs to do certain things for you, and if the dog is picking up a dropped article, uh, like a cell phone or a set of keys that you or I may not have access to because it's below our, uh, uh, you know, level of, of mobility, um, that dog, that assistance dog, can have access. Again, it's not a pet. It is a device that helps you or I uh, maintain some level of independence. And what, what if this is like a, you know, like a triple-decker? It's a, a private, you know, it's not an apartment building. It's not... A condo association, it's a private, um, does it still pertain in that situation? Yes, absolutely, it okay. should. And, and I would encourage you to go to um, uh, a website that focuses on uh, the rights of those, uh, you know, the assistance, uh, um, the Americans with Disabilities Act is, is easily found uh, through, uh, through a Google search. And go there to, to check out your rights. Um, but yes, you should have no no trouble whatsoever. Um, not that this person may not um, they, they may give you uh, a hard time, or but that should not stop you from if you need an assistance dog, you should be able to have one. Okay, great, thank you. Sure. Um, can I ask one question? Because I um, I've been at lunch and I got to get back to work. Sure. Uh, my son, well, I have two kids, you know, um, Eric, who's three, he has mitochondrial disease, and Isaiah, who's seven, he has autism. We do have um, a dog already um, in, that we've been using for Eric, you know, within the past three years that, you know, we're laying around with him and, and help him and do all kinds of things. He's, you know, very mellow, very sweet. He understands commands and everything. Can we purchase a case for him and, like, the patches towards this, like, a therapy dog or an assistance dog? autism service dog, 
Yeah, or do we need to get him certified? I'd say legally you cannot uh, simply purchase a a vest or or those patches. Um, I know that it is possible for you to do that, but I'd say not legally. Um, I would say you really should try to find a local um, assistance dog provider and see if they will um, certify your dog to be an assistance dog. I do know that this is done. Uh, out there, but I, uh, you know, out in the general population, but I'd say that, that um, in doing that, it might make those that do have an assistance dog um, make their lives more challenging. Okay. And where, like, where would I, um, how would I start looking for, you know, like, those types of services around, like, in the Houston area? I would look at, uh, there is a, a group in, in uh, Tucson, Arizona, called Top Dog. Uh, that does certify people's um, um, pets, and they will put you through a training process as well. But I also look at assistancedogsinternational.org to see if there is uh, an accredited assistance dog program uh, in your state or in your local area, you know, that that might provide that certification for you. Okay. Great question. Thank you. Anybody have another question? John, I had another question for you, if you have time. A couple sure. Minutes. Um, it seems like the decision process is just as important as the training and then the ultimate, you know, companionship and, and partnership and match with the dog. Um, if you had to think about that decision process, you know, wondering, am I a good fit or is my child a good fit, or my family a good fit for having a dog, what are the key questions to kind of ask yourself so that you would know whether you could benefit from a service dog? Um, that is a really good question. And I, I guess I would point to, to certain things like, you know, am I afraid of dogs? Uh, do I have a fear, uh, you know, of those dogs? Do I have allergies uh, that might uh, be compounded uh, by uh, dog hair? Um, do I have the, you know, the ability to um, take care of that dog's needs. Um, it does my family. You know, would my family benefit uh, from having uh, a dog in the house? Because again, there's the there's the primary, there's the secondary, and there's the tertiary um, impact. I'd say of that dog, both positive and perhaps negative uh, about that. Um, I will tell you though that. that uh, we do have clients that have never owned dogs in their lives that, uh, that have chosen to get an assistance dog, and it has positively affected their life, uh, so much so that they have come back for a second or a third dog um, from needs, from initially being curious as to whether or not they, they could even benefit um, you know, from an assistance dog. So I'd say that you're going to ask some, some very common questions about you know, allergies or the ability to to, to walk a dog um, uh, to whether the family, you know, would be positively or negative, negatively impacted by that. Um, and I'd say that, honestly, that an assistance dog is not right for everyone. Um, it might be that, that someone's lifestyle uh, doesn't lend itself, um, you know, to having an assistance dog. Someone may, you know, travel uh, a great deal, although the dogs can travel on an airplane, um, 
you know, with their human partner, not in the in the uh, undercarriage, but in the uh, right at the, the their human partner's feet. Um, is that helpful? That's great. And is there an age that a child has to be to be eligible for a dog? Uh, we typically point to age six uh, as the youngest that we would uh, partner with a dog. But even at that age, we would call it a facilitated service dog, which means that that um, uh, that child would need a parent or a facilitator. That's usually the mother um, who who um, who is you know the primary caregiver uh, for that dog. Uh, Heidi has um, let me know that. Anyone who's thinking about a dog and wants to hear a little bit about an insider's perspective, um, she's doing some work writing up her story, but also be willing to answer your questions. And her email address is redtape at mitoaction.org. This is Heidi Coleman, who writes our wonderful Cut the Red Tape monthly article. And so if you want to email Heidi um, and just get her perspective, she has a service dog named Mercury who um, has really changed her life and does a lot for her. And, uh, and I'm sure Heidi wouldn't mind me telling you that Heidi is um, in a wheelchair and uses lots of assistive devices and has Mito and is also deaf. And so she goes everywhere with Mercury. So red tape at mitoaction.org. Um, she also said that there's a website called Canines for Kids. Oh, yes. That she said has some great, is a service dog right for you kind of questions to um, to ask also. She said they mentioned work with you, John. Yes, absolutely. Um, Canines for Disabled Kids uh, is a consultancy uh, organization. Um, I know their executive director well, Kristen Hartness. Uh, she uh, uses um, a smooth coat collie uh, for balance. Uh, because she has multiple sclerosis. Um, aside from being uh, an extraordinarily great human being, um, as is Heidi, by the way, I've got to tell you, um, uh, Kristen's organization can help uh, both with scholarships for an assistance dog, but also in helping you as a, as a human, if you will, uh, understand uh, if an assistance dog can be of help and which organization uh, might be the best one to, to to go to for an assistance dog. So I would, add, you know, Heidi is correct. Um, Canines for Disabled Kids dot org. Uh, executive director is Kristen Hartness. Uh, good person, good program, good advice, and can help you um, ob objectively understand the ins and outs, pros and cons, yes, no, maybe, and where. And that's. C A N I N E S F O R kids. So it's canines with a C, caninesforkids.org. Yeah. Um, I just looked in and it's under the education tab. You can see, so you think you want a service dog. It has some great questions there, but the whole website looks helpful as well. And John, let's go ahead and get your um, email address and if you'll say the needs website again as well. Absolutely. But first, if I may, anyone that is that would like information, you know, about us, uh, you certainly can go to the website, which is www.needs, and that's spelled N as in Nancy, E-A, D as in David, S as in Sam, dot org. Um, you can call me at 978-422-9064. My extension is 18. 
My email is jmoon, M-O-O-N. So first initial, last name, last name is Moon, like in the sky, uh, at needs, N-E-A-D-S dot org. Uh, and I can uh, easily chat with you, turn you on to Kathy Foreman, send you some information. But if you happen to be local or traveling through Massachusetts, you're really welcome to come visit our campus in Princeton, Massachusetts. It's a little bit north of Worcester, uh, which is in central Mass. And, you know, we'd love to talk with you and show you around. Um, what we do is, uh, I think, is not just special, but um, I really do see people's lives change for the better um, when they've been matched up with a, uh, whether it's a hearing dog or an assistance dog or a service dog. Um, it's, it is remarkable. I, I, I just can't express it enough. Wonderful. Well, John, any closing comments you'd like to share with the group? Uh, only those. Uh, you know, really that, that we are here to serve, uh, that it is an honor and a pleasure to, to be able to help those that might have less mobility or independence, uh, you know, than others. Maybe reclaim some of that, um, and it, and I just want to say thank you for allowing me to you know to talk. I hope that the information uh, has been and is helpful for for everyone. Um, and thank you very very much. John, thank you so much. Anyone who still has additional questions, please feel free to um, email John and perhaps email me as well, director at mitoaction.org. Uh, John will work on getting all of this information on the website with all the links as well. And thank you so much for the information today. I'm sure this has many people thinking about how a service dog might be a part of their life. So thank you so much. A pleasure. Everyone, have a wonderful weekend. And please join us again for the other Fridays this month for our, online, our telephone support groups. Uh, you can just check those out on the website or follow our Facebook page and we'll provide the updates of reminders of when those are. And then I do want to let you know that because of Fourth of July weekend, we won't have a meeting on July 1st. Um, but we will have a speaker the following Friday, July 8th. That'll be Dr. Fran Kendall from Atlanta's Virtual Medical Practice, and she'll be talking about the relationship between autism and mitochondrial disease and what the latest research says. So save the date for that. That's July 8th. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful weekend.